This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by J.K.L. Engineering. Whether it's heating or cooling, you can depend on J.K.L. Engineering. Licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Call them today at 401-351-7600. Listen, we still have a number of months ahead. You're going to need the heat. We don't know what's going to happen. March can still be chilly. April can still be obviously chilly. The heating season. Let J.K.L. Engineering design and install a natural gas, high-efficiency carrier, Infinity System. They're energy-efficient, they're quiet, more affordable than you think. If you're saying no gas, guess what? No problem. Let J.K.L. Engineering design and install a high-efficiency heat pump system, including ductless splits. Heats in the winter, cools in the summer. These units are so efficient, it can reduce your oil bill by as much as 90%. Highest rebates in the market, and they also do new installation and replacement of high-efficiency gas boilers. JKL, Carrier Factory Authorized Dealer, licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. You know, for over 53 years, JKL's reputation, second to none. Technical expertise, customer satisfaction. JKL is an approved National Grid VPI installer. Call JKL Engineering today. Remember, estimates are free. Financing is available for both residential and commercial. Call JKL for a system replacement, oil to gas, for a heat pump. They're going to do it right. They're going to do it right the first time. And remember, with JKL Engineering, they'll keep it nice and cool in the summertime and nice and warm in the wintertime. Central Air is a life changer. Central Air is a game changer. And right now, estimates are free. Financing is available. Licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts, the original, the best, JKL Engineering. Call them 401-351-7600, 401-351-7600 for JKL Engineering. It's the John DePietro Show. This portion of our program is brought to you by K's. Now remember, sure. K's right on Cass Avenue. They are doing takeout. You can call them, still enjoy all the delicious sandwiches, but uh, call and do takeout at K's. They're waiting for you. The most delicious steak sandwich. I love the pastrami, roast turkey. Folks, K's is such a valued part of the community, and let's support them during what is certainly a challenging time. I can't wait till all of this blows over, and I can sit down and enjoy a nice meal inside K's. David and John run such a great, uh, such a great place. And uh, Faye, usually behind the bar, and Jessica, and uh, Danny in the kitchen, everyone there at K's. Well, folks, it's time for another edition. Let's bring him on. He is our legal expert, top Rhode Island attorney, Tim Dodd. Tim Dodd, I want to start off with uh, something that certainly caught a lot of national attention. And when these things happen, um, and we're going to touch it twofold, because you've had an extraordinary number of CEOs that were suddenly retiring in the month of February. But let's start off with some U.S. senators. And you heard that some of the people in Congress were briefed just how bad this coronavirus, COVID-19, was. And then suddenly, just out of nowhere, they decided to change their position uh, with some of their investments. It's very disturbing, John, what what has happened um, at the Senate. Um, One of the senators who's appointed to fill out a term, uh, Senator Loeffler, um, whose husband happens to be the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange, was on the intelligence committee, um, received information about the coming um, um, problems for the medical world with corona um, 
um, spreading and uh, what would be happening in like the hotel and the hospitality industry. And she sold between, I think, a million and $3 million worth of stock. Um, Senator Richard Burr from North Carolina did much the same thing. He's the chairman of the Intelligence Committee. Um, after going to a um, classified hearing on the oncoming corona problems the country was facing, um, he came out in public, pronounced everything was fine, no need to worry, everything's going to be fine. And while he's making this public pronouncement, he was busy selling between, I think, 400000 and a million five of stock wow. in the very industries that were going to be um, affected. So both of these senators um, specifically sold stock that they knew was in trouble and bought stock that they knew was going to um, go up in value because of stock in medical appliances, medical components. Um, Dianne Feinstein also got... Um, caught up in the same type of activity. Now, the Feinstein claims that she doesn't do any active trading. All of her assets are in a blind trust. Uh, Senator Loeffler says quite the same thing. Um, I guess there's no pillow talk between she and the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange as to what to do with their stock portfolio. It's, it's just not a credible um, statement for her to make. Um, Senator Burr comes out and says, I didn't use insider information. I only went based upon what I was reading and hearing in the public um, and what was available, which is not plausible either. So these senators are all self-dealing. They're all taking advantage of insider information and buying and selling shares of stock. Um, if you did it or I did it based upon insider knowledge, we'd probably get prosecuted. Will the senators get prosecuted, John? It's unlikely for a number of reasons. Now, in the first instance, most of the insider trading statutes, which are on the books, suggest that it's a crime to take advantage of insider information of the company that you work for. So let's assume that you worked for Apple and you learned that uh, Apple shares were going to be splitting or that Apple was going to uh, be projecting a loss or a profit or whatever, and you use that information to your own advantage, that's classic insider trading. Um, senators can say, well, I wasn't working for the company that had the knowledge and I didn't take advantage of it as an employee of a company. And that's their wiggle room to say that they're not specifically affected by the standard federal insider trading statutes. Now, the Senate did a remarkable thing. They enacted a law, which is called the Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act. It's the acronym is STOCK, so it's commonly called the STOCK Act, which was um, enacted in 2012 without a lot of fanfare. And what happened is that the senators are not supposed to, by statute, take advantage of information they learn in the course of their official duties. The trick is the statute does not provide for any criminal penalties. All, all, it, all, it, all it potentially involves is if you were to really get um, caught dead to rights, 
the sanction is that you might have to forfeit your senatorial pension if and when you retire from the Senate. That's it. Hmm. That's all that can happen. So the risk for a senator to engage in um, taking advantage of insider knowledge isn't very great. Most senators die in office or retire when they're very old and have made lots of money in the Senate. So the risk of having um, forfeiture of their pension is no great sanction. Now, Senator Burr, being a veteran of the Senate, has now um, invoked another wonderful advantage that senators have. There's something called the, the Senate Ethics Committee, which is, that's the name. It's sometimes things are named inappropriately, but it's the Senate Ethics Committee. And we've talked about that once in a while in terms of when senators get jammed up on ethical improprieties. The Senate Ethics Commission is composed of six senators, three from each party, handpicked by the um, the majority uh, leader and the minority leader, so that you're always going to have a stalemate. There's never going to be an ability for one side to trump the other. So if the three Republican appointees rule that there should be a violation, let's say, and the three Democrats uh, vote that there should not, then it's a stalemate and no action is taken. Uh, by way of example, John, last year, I believe it was last year, the Senate Ethics Committee handled 138 complaints. And after investigating, quote unquote, investigating 138 complaints for senatorial misconduct, no sanctions were issued as a result of any of the 138 investigations, zero. And that's the typical outcome of these things. So Senator Burr has essentially asked for his case to be investigated where it will go into a black hole, never to be heard from again. Hmm. Nothing ever happens with these things. Um, the, I think the last time anything happened was... Um, most famously when Bob Packwood got expelled from the Senate for sexual improprieties. Um, a couple of others have gotten jammed up um, a little bit, but typically nothing happens. So I would venture to say that there will never be a criminal prosecution of any of these senators for what any other American would likely be um, uh, prosecuted for. And no action will be taken. No punishment will be administered. Um, they'll get away with it. Now, the only f sanction they face is from the voters. So the next time Senator Burr is up for re-election, I'm sure his opponent is going to pound on this thing relentlessly that he sure. took advantage. But legally, criminally, civilly, nothing's going to happen. Tim, it is a little uh, reminiscent of uh, before the credit union crisis. Then you learned that a number about, to me, a little bit, uh, some insiders were then taking the money out of the credit union uh, in learning about that. Now, that was that's different than than um, what what happened here. Now, folks, it's John DePietro. We're speaking with attorney Tim Dodd. Coming up, we're going to talk about uh, what is going on with the Rhode Island court system. What happens to a number of these cases? I did get a listener uh, email question from Joanne that I'm going to read as well. So we have and also. Uh, folks, some of the other stories in the news that we're going to talk to Tim Dodd about, and that is the uh, fact that right now the Justice Department is saying that they're looking at maybe uh, charging people with as an act of terrorism who could face criminal charges 
if, in spreading it. We're going to talk about that and a lot more with attorney Tim Dodd right here on the John DePete. Everyone is talking about germs, about algae, about mildew. No, I know they're talking about the virus. What about some of the viruses outside your home? As the weather's getting warmer, now is the time. Let's make your property, home or business, look as best it can with Bethel Softwash. Look for them on Facebook, Bethel Softwash. Now, you can text Jared at Bethel, B-E-T-H-E-L, Bethel Softwash of Lincoln. Free day, free same-day text estimate at 401-617-2585. Text him at 401-617-2585. And what I mean is, if you text Jared, this is what my house looks like, he'll give you a free estimate right there. I'm talking outside your home. I encourage you to visit their Facebook page, and you can see the before and after and what a difference it makes. Bethel soft washing is the low pressure system. It won't harm the surface. Low pressure H2O combined with the biodegradable chemical removes those biological elements like uh, algae and uh, mildew, and you don't need it. The biodegradable plant safe solution. Wait to see the difference. Now, I tell people go to uh, log on to the Facebook page, Bethel Certified Soft Wash. Bethel Soft Wash, and look at the before and after. What a difference it makes. Bethel Certified Soft Wash Power Wash for your home, for your business, for your walkway, for your patio, for your deck. Make your home look beautiful. Get rid of that mold and algae instead. Bethel Certified Soft Wash. You can also text Jared at 401-617-2585. Make an appointment. Free estimate, 401-617-2585. And look for them on Facebook. It's Bethel Certified Soft Wash. Right in Lincoln, Bethel Certified Soft Wash. It's John DePietro. We're speaking with attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, I received, um, well, actually... I'm going to get to the uh, letter or email, I should say, from Joanne in just a moment. I want to just stay just for a moment with, um, I, you know, as soon as this started to break out of nowhere, there was recently a story that all the high-profile CEOs in February that started handing in their retirement. One that really caught my attention was he was the CEO of Disney, Bob Iger. It came out of nowhere. He's going to stay in. I think he's still there in some form of transition, but he's no longer the CEO. And this was in... I think right in around early February when suddenly he announced he was stepping down. Now, from what I've been told, there was some provision in his, you know, a package uh, deal with Disney that when he announces, it's all about stock, when he announces, um, he somehow his compensation going forward would be tied to what it was when he announced. Now, as we know, I mean, the Disney theme parks are closed. Uh, people can't go out to movies. Uh, revenue is down with ABC television and ESPN. That's all under the Disney umbrella. That seems to be, uh, Tim, I, 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 you tell me, I mean, I don't think he did anything criminal. Besides their right to exit the company at that time. And he saw what was coming down the pike and decided to do that. If he saw what was coming down the pike from reading the wall street journal or the Miami Herald, or whatever other newspaper of choice he yep. reads, or other publicly available intel that he was smart enough to figure out, then it's no harm, no foul. And he can say, listen, 
I read the tea leaves better than the average citizen. I know what my contractual rights are. And this was a good time to bail because I would lock in the stock price I must be compensated at. If, on the other hand, um, he learned about the coming coronavirus um, problem and what effect it would have on the Disney empire, and he learned that, let's say, at a board meeting or receiving confidential information that was not available to the public um, and acted on that information so obtained, mm. then he would be guilty of, potentially be guilty of insider trading. Wow. And he would certainly be potentially subject to prosecution. That's what the insider trading law is really intended. Sure. If you work for a company, you learn inside information and you take advantage of it, um, something that the public can't know and can't take advantage of, that's the very essence of insider trading. Now, there might be other reasons. Maybe he's got an illness that he hasn't disclosed. Maybe he's this, a very shrewd guy and saw what was coming down the pike. Those things would be fine. But if there was an investigation and if there's, again, we've talked about it, if there's emails or um, texting or something else that he learned about that influences uh, his decision to retire, it could be a problem for him. I guess the best news for him right now is with all of the chaotic news reporting on this coronavirus, um, not much attention has been paid um, to the issue you just brought up. What about all these CEOs that bailed out in February? Yeah. Why, do they, why do they all have this epiphany to bail out at the same time from high-level, high-paying positions? No one leaves the Disney company as chair unless you know there's something adverse going on with the stock, with the management, with the products. And Disney was humming along on all cylinders, making record profits. There was no reasonable grounds that he would have decided to leave when there was nothing to do but make money until this coronavirus oh. hit. Well, one last thing on that. Um, they, ABC News, you know, they obviously, ABC News, which is part of Disney, they have bureaus in China. They would certainly have people, you know, there reporting back the news. I don't know if there'd be a difference of what he may have learned through ABC News Bureau in you know, in China, they're telling us how bad it is compared with what might have then just been reported um, in the news. I want to get to an email, though, uh, Tim Dodd, and that is this email is from Joanne, and she listens each week when we do the segment and said, uh, John, can you ask attorney Tim Dodd? She is uh, I believe they live in Lincoln. She said I could say that she has been in the house working from home with her husband. They have two kids. They are, she said, late 30s. So I'm not sure how old. But she said, um, while they're cooped up, would this be a good time to make out a will? How do they go about it since they can't go to see an attorney? And I don't know what's going on with that. But, um, Tim, can you address people that are, you know, they're self-quarantined, they're at home. And, uh, boy, you know, they're hearing about all this death and people getting sick. I, I would imagine this should be a very important time for people to put their will together. Well, if they're self-quarantined because they've been exposed to someone with the virus or they have a reasonable expectation that they might be infected or soon to become symptomatic and they're self-quarantined, well, they should stay at home. Um, certainly attorneys are available by telephone. And if they're not self-quarantined, 
Uh, I know that many attorneys are still on some limited basis going to their office. Uh, when uh, Governor Raimondo um, issued her edict about, you know, professionals such as lawyers and accountants um, trying to work from home, the proviso was, you know, I would recommend or advise or urge that you work from home if you're able to do so. Now, for a lot of um, folks, lawyers, accountants, uh, doctors, other you know professionals, uh, if you're not set up with a home office or if you're not really set up to do all of what you need to do with paper files and everything that goes along with um, practicing law or being an accountant, if you can't work from home, there's no mandate that you do. So I know a lot of my colleagues are still going into the office on a limited basis. So if these folks from Lincoln um, are willing to go in for an office conference, there are still lawyers who would be okay with having a brief office conference. A lot of the provisions that you would want in a will, if you have an attorney that you're comfortable working with, most of the questions and answers and decisions could be handled telephonically. Um, the attorney could draft up you know, the will and the accompanying uh, state planning documents, email them to the client. If the client is satisfied with those documents, uh, arrangements would have to be made to execute, to sign a, to execute a will properly in Rhode Island. It has to be signed by the person making the will, the testator, and there has to be two witnesses in the same room at the same time, watching each other sign as witnesses and watching the testator sign. So there's got to be at the most three people in a room to effectively um, execute a will. So it can be accomplished. It's not as easy as just making an office appointment, walking in and having a sit down to talk about it. But there's no prohibition. And the notion that there are no lawyers who are working or there are no lawyers going into their office is just not accurate. There are many who are still going in much more on a limited basis, intelligently not spending as much time. And I know that most lawyers who are going in are keeping a very limited schedule of seeing any clients, everything that's being done these days, mostly you can Skype, you can um, correspond via email, you can correspond via text, you can use the old fashioned telephone and much more effectively and have a, have a conversation. So the practice of law still goes on and documents such as will can s still be effectuated and executed. Um, Tim, I also want to um, touch on it again, folks. Good afternoon. Uh, this is the John DePietro Show. We're speaking with our legal expert, Tim Dodd. Tim, if you could get a, give an update, what is going on? What is the latest with the Rhode Island courts? The courts remain closed. The expected date for the courts to reopen, if you will, is still April 17th. That date has not been pushed back. That's still a firm date. I, I presume it's subject to change depending on circumstances as we get into the middle of the month. Um, the courts remain closed except for extraordinary emergency cases, things like um, uh, domestic um, abuse, um, capital cases like murder, rape, kidnapping. The courts would still be open to uh, arraign folks on that. The courts are still open for bail review issues for criminal defendants. Um, 
anything in regarding children with child abuse, there'd still be family court availability to access. It's got to be an emergency. Now, one of the um, pronouncements from the governor was to tenants, well, if you can't pay your rent, you're not going to get evicted. Now, some people might say, well, I'm going to take advantage of that. I'm not going to pay my rent. My landlord can't do anything. And that's true in the short term. That doesn't mean the rent is abated. That just means that the landlord has to basically put that rent on account. So let's assume the tenant doesn't pay for March. Let's assume the tenant doesn't pay for April. In the short term, the landlord's got to sit there and eat it and can't do anything about it. But come May, let's say, when the courts are open, there'll be lots of evictions looking for back rent and possession. So if you don't pay your rent, you know, you can run, but you can't hide. You're going to get away with something in the short term. But um, when the courts are reopened, all of these cases will become activated. There was a recent case where before the courts closed, there was, let's use an example, an eviction occurs and either the court orders or the parties agreed that the tenant could remain in possession until May, March 1st. So let's assume the eviction happened in January. The landlord and tenant say, okay, you can stay for the month of February, but as of March 1st, you're out. And if you don't get out, we're going to get an execution. We're going to get a moving company. We're going to move you out. So let's assume March 1st is the operative date that they got to get out. And now the tenant says, I'm not getting out because of all this thing going on with the coronavirus. The landlord has an execution and starts to effectuate the move out. Uh, the tenant goes to court seeking a restraining order saying you can't do that. Uh, the relief requested in the restraining order is denied. The case goes to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court, Rhode Island Supreme Court says, we're not gonna take this case up. The court spokesman says, if there was an eviction which has already occurred, and if there is already a judgment, and if there's already an agreed upon uh, move out date and the tenant doesn't move out, nothing stops post-trial um, um, eviction efforts from continuing. So that's a narrow sliver of cases, but if you went to court as a tenant and if you've got to move out by a date certain and you don't move out by that date certain pursuant to a court order, you could still be subject to a landlord moving your stuff out if you don't go voluntarily. So that's kind of a narrow exception to the kind of freeze that's happening right now with landlord tenant cases. And as we've discussed last time, it creates big problems up and down the economic food chain. If the tenants aren't paying rent and the landlord's got a mortgage, uh, landlord's going to be in a position they can't pay their mortgage. Uh, the banks aren't going to be getting their money. And up and down the food chain, this creates enormous problems in the short term. Um, in the long term, things will get back to normal. But uh, it's an interesting little um, curveball that's within the eviction prohibition right now. There are still people who can be moved out if there's already a court order. Folks, it's John DePietro. Our, uh, we're going to continue with uh, attorney Tim Dodd and some great stories coming up also are there are people being arrested now uh, with the whole situation with coronavirus as far as making even a terrorist threat. It all continues. Stay with us uh, right here 
on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. It's the John DePietro Show.